Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Seasons Within podcast. Today, we will be looking at Antonio Vivaldi's second movement from his Concerto No. 3 in F major, Opus 8, titled Autumn, and how it relates to the life we are currently living. I'd like to first give a brief background on Vivaldi and his four seasons before we continue. Vivaldi was an early 18th century composer whose music focused on affections. During this time period, it is important to note the social changes that were happening in the world. When the century began, there was new power emerging in Europe and other centralized states, each of which were supported by military and government bureaucracy. France had the largest army. Britain formed the Union of England and Scotland in 1707 and had the most powerful navy which they used to wrest India, Canada, and multiple Caribbean islands from France during the French and Indian War of 1756 to 1763. After winning back Hungary from the Turks in the late 17th century, Austria was increasing its influence as the leading musical city in Europe. Prussia developed the continent's largest, best-trained armies, and later in the century, Poland's territories fell victim to the leading powers around it, Prussia and Russia, and had its territories divided by Austria over the course of the century, eventually erasing it from the map. By this time, the American Revolution and the French Revolution were creating change that would remake the political culture of Europe and the Americas. As these developments took place, there was an economic expansion simultaneously occurring. The population in Europe rapidly increased, especially after 1750, which helped lead the agricultural, postal, educational, and infrastructure improvements. With these modifications came improved trade within Europe, Asia, and the New World. As the continent became more urbanized, nature was increasingly idealized. This can be heard throughout Vivaldi's pastoral themes in his concertos, such as the Four Seasons. Vivaldi himself was one of the most prolific composers of the time. Vivaldi was born and spent the majority of his time in Venice. He was the eldest of nine children and trained for both music and priesthood. He would later be known as the Red Priest because he was ordained and had red hair. In 1703, the year he was ordained, Vivaldi became the music director at Venice's Hospice of Pity Orphanage. This orphanage was a large orphanage for girls who were thoroughly trained in musical performance. During his tenure at the orphanage, Vivaldi wrote the majority of his concertos. These concertos were well-suited for players of varying abilities because the best performers could show off their skill in the solo parts, while those of lesser ability could play in the orchestra. Over the course of his life, he would write about 500 concertos. His concertos were known for their orchestral color, rhythmic enthusiasm, clarity in the form, and melodic vigor. Close to 350 of his concertos were scored for orchestra and one soloist, mostly violin. With few exceptions, Vivaldi followed the three-movement plan introduced by Albinani. An opening fast movement, a slow movement in the same or closely related key, such as relative minor or major, dominant or subdominant, and a final fast movement in the tonic, one often shorter and sprightlier than the first. Of all these four seasons reflects this same form. Each of the four concerti in his opus 8 not only reflect this form, 
but are accompanied by a sonnet, possibly written by Vivaldi himself, that describes the seasons and the concertos and cleverly depict the images in the poetry. This week, we will be looking at the second movement of his concerto number three in F major, opus eight, and connect our personal life experiences with what we hear and interpret. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Seasons Within, brought to you by myself, Brianna Myers, and co-creator, Jesse Bailey. The singing and the dancing die away as cooling breezes fan the pleasant air, inviting all to sleep without a care. This is Seasons Within, and my name is Jesse Bailey. Welcome to the show. With me this week, I have my very good friend, co-creator, and wonderful guest, Brianna Myers. And she is, of course, the musical heart and brain and soul, really, behind this entire show. It was just sort of, you know, a way for me to connect with people, but for her, it's kind of an expertise. It's sort of her thing. So that's why we brought Brie along. Welcome, Brie. Thank you for being with us. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Always a pleasure, especially for me. I know that um, being apart from each other for so long is difficult because we've been friends for a really long time, but it's something that we get used to, and I think... I think that's my favorite part of this podcast is that it gives us an excuse to spend some time together uninterrupted and, you know, act like we're doing something important. But hopefully we can actually end up doing something important because, you know, helping people relate to each other, I think, is important. So uh, this week we're going to be talking about the second movement from Vivaldi's Concerto Number no. 3 in F major titled Autumn. This is the Adagio Molto in F major. Uh, Last week, with our first episode, we took a look at the Allegro from Concerto Number 3, and that was sort of your introduction to the idea and the spirit of Seasons Within, what it's meant to be, what we hope that it will be, and what we're pretty sure that it can be, with a little bit of help and love from you and us. So, that having been said, what I think we should do is we'll start by just having a quick listen to this piece and then we'll discuss kind of what we take from it just as a reaction and then you can sort of give us a look at how the piece was written and the history of it and you know are we maybe taking the correct things from it at face value so without further ado this is the second movement from Vivaldi's Concerto Number no. 3 in F major, Autumn Adagio Motto.
this piece feels slower to me, more restful than the Allegro, softer, more quiet. It makes me want to close my eyes and breathe slowly. But there's also some sense of mild dread there, something lurking in the back. If I were going to make an analogy, it feels like all my responsibilities and worries trying to keep me from closing my eyes and resting, denying my breath. But I do feel that it ends on a positive note, so to speak. So, Brianna, what am I hearing here? Yeah, so I think when we think about music, our own emotions always tie into it. So I can't tell you exactly what you are hearing, um, but I could definitely give my side of this and how I personally, I guess, translate and think of the piece when I'm listening to this. Um, So if we look at what we listened to last week, we listened to the first movement of this concerto. And, you know, a concerto, you you always have a soloist. In Vivaldi's case, he had the, the orphanage full of girls that he was training at different skill levels so he could choose whoever, you know, whatever skill level he wanted um, to be able to play these pieces. And in his, his first movement, he chose a violinist. Um, in, in my opinion, obviously somebody a little bit more skilled. There's a little bit more um, intensity, rhythmic um, complexity, and just a little bit more skill needed there. But it's not just about skill, it's about the feeling and the choice of the instrument. Um, we, we went from the soloist being a violinist to we now look at this, this second movement and everything has, has completely changed, right? Like we have, the, mm. the strings are still there, but the, the strings are just in the background right. now. And um, they're, they're just, they're sustaining, they're gliding, there's this like, this drudge, but also this like supportiveness um, for the harpsichord, which is, is the soloist. And um, it's it's rhythmically simplistic, right? Like if we were to think of this in musical terms, it's the same tempo throughout the entire piece. You right. know, nothing, the rhythm does not change. It's just um, it's eighth notes all all the way through the the harpsichord while the the strings are in the back supporting it and sustaining this long note throughout the whole measure for each measure. And then occasionally you there's this like sprinkle of a flute over top of everything almost to like give it a little bit of cushion and padding and I think because it is so like drudging like drudgingly like dark but also like not like there's these arpeggios going on where you'll have like a major arpeggio and then it and then it switches from major which is like um a happy key to Mm. to minor but it happens within like a split second right you know and so it's almost like like oh okay cool everything's everything's fine now and then it goes to ah a little bit more solemn and like right. okay now it's now it's not that's, um, that's all super interesting because it seems to like even though the way that i experience that piece isn't necessarily you know how it was written or, or or what it was meant to be interpreted as it sounds like the structure came through to me like that he built the subjectivity into the music almost by 
by writing it for different skill levels, like you were saying. And then, you know, the words that you use, the sustaining, the supportive, like that was what I was getting, you know, the breathing and the rest, which I used to sustain and support myself. And then you mentioned that flute sprinkle, which is like, maybe that was that positive, you know, little jingle that I was hearing that I couldn't recognize. That's, that's, that's interesting that it would be, it, it feels like it's pretty close to what I felt. Yeah. And like, it's, it's intentional, I believe, you know, as we, as we're looking at 18th century music composers, you know, um, before then they were kind of recycling material from, from Bach and taking that material and using it to just reconstruct things. Um, where now we're having composers like Vivaldi and um, also J.S. Bach, who are starting to put more affection mm -hmm. into their music and right. more like feeling and, you know, like, what can we portray with this? I mean, and that that's even resembled in the title of his four concertos, right. you know, the seasons. Like, he's, let's have a, th a, a theme here. Yeah, he's he's finally putting the art to the science of the music, which is like, it seems backwards to me because for me, like music intentionally is, is the art, you know, but it's, it is so scientific and math based and it's got all of the rules. And, and that's really why I'm so glad that you're here because without you, I mean this, we would not be able to discuss this in the, at this level. I just, I, I don't have the, the words for it, but it's, it's super, it's very beautiful to me that, what I experience was designed 150, 200, 300 years ago. And it works now. It works. It works well. It's, it's, I think it speaks to the power of music in general, but specifically, you know, the masters, as they're called. It's just, it's amazing. Well, and, and definitely, and just hitting on two of those points, I think like the mathematics of music is for a whole other episode. Um, of course, yeah. I, I think it's that's just a whole incredible thing by itself that as a percussionist, I completely nerd out on. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is the beauty of these composers and this music and the fact that they were doing it during the time that they were doing it. Um, and I think that it will always impact us. Always, always, always. And that's why we still are making it because it's important and because it does move us emotionally um it yeah does. it's pretty it's pretty incredible yeah and to to your point about the uh i don't know if discord is the term but sort of the back and forth between the major and the minor and the, and the layering the major over the minor that i think that came through to me like i was saying it felt like there was something in the back of this music there was something keeping me from closing my eyes all the way and getting you know fully to the rest and the breath of the thing um, well, well, go ahead. No, it's it's just one of those like I'm I'm wondering if you know does that analogy is that part of why do you think that's part of the intention of layering the major with the minor is to give that sense of like almost unease or you know something else is coming down the tracks with this song I don't know what's coming next in this concerto but it's gonna be you know possibly negative but maybe i should feel positive because there's a flute like is that part of the storytelling of the music um i like like once again i can't speak for vivaldi and 
you know, like I think it's just personal interpretation. And mm. but like for me, I I would say yes. Yeah. You know, like I I think that he intentionally put the the major with the minor. And, you know, like if we're connecting these to the sonnets, maybe it's not even about the uh, later parts of the concerto, but, you know, what he's what he's writing there and, and how he's just relating everything together mm. in that sense. Yeah. Um, composers at this time were writing program music. Um, and just to give a little bit of explanation about what program music is, is it's music um, that gives a narrative or sequence of events, um, evokes a certain emotion, um, and it's often accompanied by text, which is the program. So definitely oh. intentional in my opinion. Okay. That's okay. That's very cool. So that actually that actually kind of fits right in with where I where I went with this was you know, I was thinking, okay, sleep and rest and you know, competing thoughts, like what is what's going on there and i ran across this article called losing control sleep deprivation impairs the suppression of unwanted thoughts from a team of researchers at university of new york and university of cambridge led by marcus o harrington and jennifer e ashton we'll link the article in the show notes but essentially they conducted some experiments to see if sleep deprivation would make it harder for a person to focus or function while they're awake and specifically their ability to suppress thoughts or emotions with negative connotations and what they found maybe unsurprisingly is that it definitely does affect that a lack of sleep makes that markedly more difficult uh, specifically part of the article states our findings raise the possibility that sleep deprivation disrupts prefrontal control over medial temporal lobe structures that support memory and emotion. These data point to an important role of sleep disturbance in maintaining and exacerbating psychiatric conditions characterized by persistent unwanted thoughts. Now, it's, you know, a little technical and jargony, but it makes a lot of practical sense to me. I feel like I've experienced that before, right? I, if I don't sleep enough, then the next day it's hard for me to focus on one thing. It's really easy for me to just let something small turn into something big. And maybe it's something small that somebody said to me, or maybe it's some small worry, you know, like, oh, I was supposed to mail that thing today and I forgot to do it. And now I'm just going to kind of let that hang over my whole day, even though really it's just a piece of mail you know it makes sense to me because I feel like that has happened to me you know losing out on sleep is one of those things that I feel like once you've lost it you never get it back there's no way to you know I'm gonna sleep 10 hours tomorrow and then I won't be tired anymore you're, you're gonna be the same amount of tired you, you don't catch up on sleep there's no such thing as catching up on sleep have, have you experienced that before oh my gosh to yes like more times than I can even say um, grad school was just, you know, like, what is sleep? <laughs> uh, sleep was uh, a luxury, I suppose. And I can 100% relate to the, the like, aggravation or, like, that thing that just kind of, like, mm. 
pokes at you yeah. throughout out the day. I think you get stressed easier. You're aggravated easier. More impatient. Yeah. Um. And for me, it's kind of like, oh, when is when is this going to be over? This thing, whatever I'm doing right now, right. when is it going to be over so that I can kind of so I can sleep, so that's, I can so I can rest. That's like what we talked about last week. You know, without knowing how temporary a certain set of circumstances is, you're like, I don't know how to rest. Like, I don't know when it's safe to rest. I don't even know if I should sleep for the full, you know, seven or eight hours. I, I don't know if I have time to sleep that long. So. I mean, I guess, I guess it's it's crazy that that's sort of hardwired into our brains, and that it it makes so much sense that somebody two or three centuries away from me, with that same wiring, would go, I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna put this in music. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna express this. I'm gonna figure out a way to share the fleeting nature of emotion and thought and happiness and sadness and you know light and dark and all the stuff it's just it's it's so beautiful and it's it's amazing to me to see the connections between you know how we're built on the inside and what we express of ourselves on the outside especially on such a, a specific level as that like you know here's the neuroscience literally behind why you can't focus and why you know time seems to crush you sometimes and other times it's just like not even there like it's so mind-blowing to me that we're finding all these different ways to communicate it but it all is telling the same story it's it's it really reinforces that science and art are one you know two sides of the same coin sort of concept and it's and it's all completely important and and relevant you know like I'm sure you've heard it before. We've all heard it. Musical is a universal language. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter where in the world you are, what what language you speak, um, what your interests are, whatever. We could all listen to that. Yeah. Something and about to it will some speak degree. To you. Yeah. You know, and we're thinking 18th century, you know, to now. And now we have all these neuroscience scientists and we're looking at it that way. But like you said, we're all conveying the same thing and the, the importance of just being human and, yeah. and, and resting. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? And how do we, how do we do that now during this <sighs> yeah. time? Like how do we breathe and relax yeah. and rest and, maintain our anxiety and our and our stress like how do we do that hey sorry to interrupt the show but we've been looking for ways to give back to the communities we live in and this week that means sharing the spotlight with brady the owner of hummus capara my whole thing is not trying to make the best it's just to make the real thing so i think of it as i'm like an ambassador for this thing that is nine thousand miles away I wanted to be able to eat it and I don't live where it's made. So I can't go over there right now due to the pandemic anyway. So I had to figure out how to make it myself. Hummus Kapara is your local Denver source for handmade to order, authentic, from scratch, 100% real hummus. For mine, all these people freak out saying, what's your secret? Blah, 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 blah. Honestly, there's no secret. And it's nice people are saying I have the best homeless they've ever had or whatever. 
But the thing is really it's just because they've been lied to and their standard <laughs> is so low. It's not their fault. I was the same way. So follow your hummus dreams on Instagram at H-U-M-M-U-S underscore C-A-P-A-R-A underscore Denver. Thanks for your patience. Let's get back to the show. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to pretend that there's a magic bullet for that or, or, you know, some kind of easy way out. But there are some things um, that I've learned personally and that I've read about, um, you know, and I've been told are really helpful for staying in the moment and grounding yourself in reality and, you know, keeping a keeping a running record of of who you are and why you do the things you do. Um so the first thing um, that I think might help um, with rest, uh, and this is something that I really want to try, and I think I might turn it into, you know, like a, a, a mandate for myself, because um, I've wanted to do it for a long time, but it's journaling. And people who, I don't know if, if you know anybody that journals, Brianna, but a lot of people, a couple people that I know journal. Um, yeah, including, you know, probably yourself. But it's it's one of those things that I see when I see people do it, I, I always have that thought of like, man, I really should be doing that. Even if it's not, you know, something that I'm going to ever look back at, or if it's not something that I would ever share with anybody, it's just probably a way to organize thoughts and a way to like get what you need out, out. So do you, what's your, do you have experience with journaling? Yeah, I can uh, definitely attest to that. I started journaling when I was a small, small child um, and for me, it has always been helpful for all of the reasons that you just said. Like, my brain has always been extremely busy. Um, it's, always, it's always going and always has gone a million miles a minute. And journaling for me has been an incredible outlet for that because it, it creates, like, one strain of thought or allows you to, like, Mm, what's the word I'm looking can, for to like centralize right. how you're feeling and just get it all out there. And then it just feels like the the tactile and the physical aspect of it of just like physically taking your thoughts and putting them out there just helps you alleviate that, alleviate that worry, those thoughts and, and organize them. That makes a lot of sense. Like you're getting them out emotionally, but you're actually literally physically getting them out of you and you're putting them somewhere else and that doesn't mean that you don't have to carry them with you anymore but it means if you don't want to there's an option they're still there Um, yeah and just to add to that like my I had a friend tell me recently you know if your if your mind is moving move your body and mm -hmm. that has something that has really been helping me lately and that can be one way to do it yeah and that can be that could be really you know drawing running music, you know, playing drums in your instance, um, chasing after a toddler. There's a lot of different stuff that can get you up and moving. Um, and, and it's, if you can take, I found for me, um, that was the thing that worked for me the most in recent memory, as far as way to center myself, way to get my breathing under control, way to give myself time to think about things, um, privately, you know, not, not in like a, <laughs> like a dangerous way, but in like a, I just need a minute sort of way. Um, was walking. I would spend one of my 15 minutes uh, breaks at work every day walking. And that is not 
that was not in my nature. I'm not a go outside and walk around and do physical activity person by nature. So I think that added another layer of um, intentionality to it for me. I think that made it really stick and it really did help because without, you know, some drive behind it or some motivation to actually keep doing it, I think it would have fallen off really quickly. Um, another thing that I have heard about, um, I went to an, a webinar actually, which is, you know, super common now <laughs> about um, emotional awareness and, you know, maintaining your, your sense of here and now. Um, and I assume that it was, you know, offered because a lot of people are working remotely right now and it's probably really easy to go, I don't really care what's happening at work because it's an abstract concept. It's not a real place. There are no people there. It's just a cloud of information that gets processed, you know. So I, I'm sure that part of the intention there was like when you're sending emails and stuff to people that you work with, remember they're humans and they need to be communicated with as such. So, um, but one of the things that the speaker mentioned is um, there's this technique where you use your other senses to you use all your senses at the same time to ground yourself in reality, right? So look at something that you can see and name it. I can see a photo of my daughter on the wall. Find something you can touch and touch it. I'm touching my laptop. The texture is kind of smooth. It's a little, it's meant to be like pleasing to the touch. It's smooth, but it's a little bit bumpy. It's got that laptop plastic feel to it. Think of something that you can hear. Right now, because my headphones are on, I can hear the blood in my ears. It's kind of like a slow din, like maybe there's traffic in the background too. It could be either one of those things. Think of something that you can smell. Right now I'm smelling the metal on this brand new microphone that I'm using to record. It's kind of hitting my tongue and giving me a taste, which is the next step. I'm kind of tasting that metal. But if I didn't have that, I do have some water right here that I could taste. I could taste the minerals that, you know, whatever company that bottled it added into it. But I'm engaging, I'm gauging all my senses at the same time. I'm taking a moment to Being present. be present, name all the things. Okay, now what am I doing? I have a clean slate because now I feel like my mind is blank. I'll be honest with you, even talking to you, my mind feels a little blank. So I'm glad that you're here to ground me. Well, and even just hearing that <laughs> was right. nice for me. Yeah, so it's 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 one of those things that when somebody says it the first time, you're like, oh, that sounds like it could be hokey, made up. But I did it and it just, it happened just right now to me. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. Um, another thing that I've heard is something called intentional breathing. I haven't done much research into that, but it, it sounds like it has a lot to do with meditation and body control and emotional, you know, awareness and things like that. Um, is, do you have a, do you have a go-to thing, Brianna, when you, when you have a moment where you're like, I have to reset, I have to calm down, I have to assess my situation, maybe I even need to freak out for a minute. What's your go-to, <laughs> like, reset process? Yeah. Um, you know, as, as much as I love those concepts, the be present now through the five senses and the intentional breathing, I just have never personally been able to do them. Mm -hmm. I have I have tried I just, I don't know what it is. I, one, I don't have the patience. Mm -hmm. um, like for me, I'm like, I have to be doing something. Like I always right. have to be doing something. So I think for me, my go-to um, 
even once again, since I was younger, has always been just sitting at an instrument and then just playing. Like, uh, I would say piano or marimba, mostly piano in this instance. You know, you're actually like physically touching all 10 keys with your hands. And then whatever I'm feeling, I will just, you know, I'll attempt to play whatever I'm feeling. Um, I think now, today, for me, walking is also huge. Um, I'm in my house almost 24-7. And so just being able to get out and go for a walk and I guess maybe relate to my senses that way like okay here are the trees these are the smells these are things around me it it reminds me that I am alive and that I am living and it just helps get that anxiety kind of washes it away um and resets myself in that way do you think that part of that might be it's almost as though you're going you know what my internal rhythm my tempo just off i need a template like give me give me somebody else's tempo and rhythm and i'll build on that like is that i think that could make sense i guess i've never really thought about it in that way um for me i'm always creating rhythm in my mind with different things um i used to get in trouble all the time for making instruments of it everything um but yeah like that that walking, that rhythm, that the movement, whatever, you know, because like when you're sitting at a piano or an instrument, you can create that rhythm to create that feeling and that emotion. And I'm not always able to verbally express how I feel. And so that's the easiest way for me to do that, even if nobody's listening. It helps me work through things. So you're already engaging several of your senses. I mean, you're, you're already partway through that, you know, engage all the senses process, if you think about it. Like... If you just took a minute to, and I'm not saying that you don't, because I'm not sure, but if you took a minute to, you know, smell your, I don't know, your drum pad covers, I don't know what a, what a percussionist would have <laughs> that would smell interesting. But, but you've already engaged your tactile senses, you're touching whatever it is you're playing, you know, you're playing piano, yeah. you're touching the keys, you've got your ears going, obviously, your eyes are either My reading mind. music or your eyes are closed looking at the notes that you're creating, whatever it is. I mean... It sounds like, you know, that that's it seems like engaging reality on some level, like on some very basic other level. Right. Just give me an object seems to be the connective tissue there, like between what apparently the neuroscience says that we need to do and what naturally seems intuitive to do is create. But you cannot create without touching, without feeling and thinking and tasting and smelling and doing all those things so that's uh, that's that's kind of a beautiful symmetry that sort of just fell into place there yeah I guess yeah I've I would have to 100% agree even though I've never really thought about it for me it was just like do this thing to make yourself feel better but yeah that totally totally makes sense and I guess is relatable maybe we're all just doing the same thing but in our own way yeah well I hope that I hope that we've been able to, you know, really validate Antonio Vivaldi. Because if he was, if he was sitting down to go, you know what, I ha- I have to communicate what's inside me. I can't just say it. I can't just tell somebody what's going on. I need to write 
just immense volumes of music i just you know i just have to pour <laughs> this out close of my to soul. 500 concertos yeah. to be exact yeah. which is insane yeah. and that's not even c- including any other genre of music that he did like the dude had a lot of feelings yeah so to create on such a prolific level is is to me i mean that's putting so much of yourself out there right that's putting you into the world and I hope that we've done that some some honor and some respect because if I I'll be honest I feel more connected to classical music over the last month of doing this show with you than I ever have in my entire life. Like not that I've ever been a detractor of classical music because I don't really know what that would look like. Like I mean I, I suppose there are some people that are anti-classical music but I don't I can't imagine eh. spending energy there, but um, I hate Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, Come on. like no, you don't. If you do, then there's something else going on, probably. <laughs> but, but yeah, so f- it. I just I want to thank you. I mean, you know, thank you for giving me kind of a window to this, and and a little bit more of a, an opportunity to look at it in a way that's practical and meaningful to me. Because it, it you know, once I had talked to you a little bit about it and started listening to more of Evaldi's Four Seasons it was like oh there is stuff really being communicated here you know it's not just look at how technically beautiful I can be or look at you know how many notes I can fit in a song or whatever it is which as a kid I remember going it feels like they're just trying to put as many notes in here as they can that makes sense so you know it's not invalid right so it, it but I think that I think you really helped me connect with this this in a in a much more meaningful way so hopefully it's we're able to together to help some some other people connect with this in a meaning way in a meaningful way and even if we don't you know maybe we can help you think about music as a way to remain present and and stay true to reality you know at least when reality demands that because of course there are times when i think it's important to maybe let reality go for a little bit but never for too long and if you're going to ground yourself back in it, you know, what more beautiful way, what more enjoyable way to do it, I think, than through music. So, um, Brianna, I'd just, like I said, thank you again. If there's anything else you'd like to add, I'd like to have you add it here. Yeah, just uh, I hope what I said made some sort of sense. Um, and, and thank you for having me as well. Um anybody you know if you're if maybe you are not sure um how to rest or how to you know you're just like looking for some help reach out to us um we're gonna start doing some research to find some local resources um for people who may meet need may need um help with like they just want to go talk to somebody like see a therapist a counselor um and we're gonna look for affordable ways to do that because it, as we know, counseling is absurdly expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll be listing some resources for all of that. You may you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We're working on a website. We have um, a link for those who are hearing impaired. You can read. We're going to post all of our research, the entire podcast, um, written up citations. You can read it, pass it along. Um, yeah, so just... Thank you again for having me, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. As am I. And like she was saying, there will be 
A lot of information in the show notes. This is a notes-heavy podcast. There's going to be a link to the article that I mentioned at the Sage Pub Journals. And then we are going to post some links to local resources that are low-cost and things like that. We want to make sure that this is, you know, we're not doctors, but we love you and we want to help you. So anything that we can do, yes. you know, to provide something, we will do. And those will be in the show notes. And if you do want to get in contact with us, as she mentioned, you can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Seasons Within. Um, on Instagram, we are at Seasons Within Podcast. Or you can send us an email or... Uh, voicemail I believe at seasonswithinpodcast at gmail.com so I think we're just going to leave it at that this has been Seasons Within my name is Jesse Bailey and I'm Brianna Myers thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time Seasons Within was created by Jesse Bailey with Brianna Myers. Special thanks to Mark Cohen and Josh Matson. Vivaldi was brought to life by the Wichita State University Chamber Players, conducted by Robert Teriziani, with violin by John Harrison via Wikimedia. The music you're hearing now is called Wooden Triptych by Bryce Craig, with Brianna Myers on marimba. Seasons Within is distributed by the Twist My Arm Network. Visit twistmyarmpodcast.com to find more shows from the network or to get in touch. You can also follow us on Instagram at Seasons Within Podcast. I'm Jesse Bailey. Thanks for spending part of your season with us.